Welcome to this podcast for LGBT History Month. I'm Garth Heron, a diversity and inclusion executive at Trevor Smith, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Bowe, Head of Learning and Engagement at the Queer Britain Museum for this episode, where we'll be talking about LGBT history, as well as the importance of the museum and specific pieces. To get us going, Dan, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. I, as you say, I, I'm part of the team at Queer Britain and uh, very delighted to have been with the team for a few years and then last year, having opened the first LGBTQ plus museum in the UK, that was very exciting. My background sort of, it's a bit of a mixed background, but media and museums probably the two big things that have featured in my life, uh, but more recently, uh, art and teaching. So as we've kind of walked through the, the halls here on the way in, the, the art that you've got here is lovely. So I think uh, we'll, we'll be talking a bit, a bit about the power of art, I think, and the power of art in our lives, I think, uh, especially uh, at the museum, having all that queer, because uh, I think for me, one of the specialties that uh, I've been able to cover Nishin is is looking at how queer art can tell us about history, but also tell us about ourselves as well. So that's what that's that's the thing that tickles me the most when you you talk about art. It's just you know, can you find a sense of queerness, and uh, and then where do we sit in that? And how did you come to be living in the UK? Well, I uh, if you haven't spotted the accent already, it's it's Aussie and. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think it's one of those things, you know, we do an exchange where the Aussies come over here and, and the British go over to Australia. I think you get the better end of the deal. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to see, the, uh, you know, part, see another part of the world. And so I was traveling and then I uh, landed a job in working media here. And uh, there are uh, sort of specific skill sets that are needed in production and uh, and media production. So I, I kind of worked in radio for quite a while. Uh, actually working for a, a what we used to call a gay and lesbian radio station now it's called an lgbtqia plus radio station um so that just tells you how long ago i worked <laughs> in it uh, and uh i think for me um moving to this country part of it was just to kind of understand what queer life is as well you know you want to go out and you make friends and you you um, meet people and uh and so i think for me uh, when i first arrived i was trying to just immerse myself in all of that um, but I, I felt that there was sort of a, a lack in in terms of being able to find uh, queerness in a space like a museum. So when I got here, one of the first places that I wanted to see was the Victorian Albert Museum. And I also wanted to volunteer for them. It's now coming up to 10 years now as a volunteer. Uh, and uh, I pitched tours there, uh, LGBTQ plus tours there. And uh, that sort of found, that was how I kind of found my my friendship group in, in the UK. It was sort of finding people who were interested in queer history, queer art, and, uh, you know, just going for a, a fun romp around a museum looking for, you know, beautiful things that you can also say, you know, there's queer history to this. So I think this country is brilliant for that, you know, free museums being able to go in for free, and then having these huge collections that, you know, are from that show things from all around the world as well and from all points of history and time I think that's the thing that's kept me here yeah and at what point did you get involved with the museum oh a few years ago so I, I it's it's hard for me to remember now because I think uh, um, I'm <laughs> basically when I heard that uh, the, the idea was launching uh, Joseph Galliano who is our director uh, and co-founder of the museum um, I, I, I saw that some members of the Victorian Albert team uh, were actually involved, so I beelined for it and went, you know, I, I want to get involved. And, and uh, it's just pre-COVID times, uh, <laughs> some point before then, I was uh, involved with Queer Britain. My very first event was at uh, UK Black Pride, and it was uh, looking after the stall there and just seeing, you know, wonderful people coming up going, what is, what is this Queer Britain? And, you know, having a chat with them about saying, 
that we were had this dream for a bricks and mortar collection and uh so i think uh that dream that joe had i, I believe it's about five or so years um to to come to fruition so i probably joined probably coming on coming up to three or so years now so yeah it's uh it's actually great now that my most recent sort of public event with queer britain was at uh at UK Black Pride as well. So, you know, going out of the museum, we were at UK Black Pride again and sort of actually this time being there in a stall and then people coming up going, oh, I visited the museum. And sort of that difference in time being able to go, we had this dream to, we're now open and you can come see us was was actually really exciting. Yeah, I'll bet. So um, we're talking for LGBT History Month. So it'd be great if you, if you could give us your take on why education around queer history is so necessary and timely. The motto for LGBT Plus History Month from Schools Out is educate at prejudice. And for me, that's always been the thing that I take into the classroom, because I think as a head of education and learning, you do engage with classrooms a lot. And I also teach as well. And recognizing that being able to create a supportive network for the students uh, and, and often they're, they're, they're wanting that from the teacher as well, the sense that it's OK for me to be whoever I want to be. But when you kind of uh, are with them and you're trying to encourage them to support each other, it's actually really heartening when you actually see them start to do that. And they realize that all these things that make us different, we can celebrate that. But there are also a whole bunch of things that bring us together as well. And so for me, I think the idea of being able to have LGBT plus history month where it's about getting education into classrooms and being able to look at our rich history, the fact that we've always existed, we've always been there and we've got these great icons that we can look up to as well. And it's something that personally I felt was lacking in my own schooling. And uh, even though I grew up in Australia, I've, I've learned all about Section 28 here as well. And I know there's a lot of people, and I, I don't know if you, you felt this yourself when you're going through school, you know, there's a whole generation that lost any ability to engage in with a teacher, you know, someone who is at the front of the class and can actually give you uh, a meaningful uh, view on the world. I think that for me is what makes LGBT plus history month really important and why we should continue to do this because it's really about being able to provide a supportive network in a classroom and then giving a young person the skills to be able to go out in the world and support others and also be able to really celebrate themselves as well. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, and how does the Queer Britain Museum contribute to this and what do you think makes it so unique in that space? What we've got in the space at the moment is a curation that was uh, done by Dawn Hosking and Matthew Story, and we've also got Marta Lomza now um, supporting the curation of the space. It's sort of looking at about 50 years of Pride in the UK because we opened last year and it was last year when we celebrated 50 years of uh, the first uh, March, Pride March in the UK. So I think a lot of the objects at the moment are focused around that timeline. We'd like to go back further is the thing uh, is where I'm going with this comment, but uh, and we will and we have. Um, but I think really what you see in the museum at the moment is sort of marking 50 years. You kind of have these key icons or these key moments of history that really galvanized us into action and activism or were key moments that we can now look back and go, wasn't that great that we achieved, you know, uh, something like gay marriage, for example, and or changed a piece of legislation, overturned Section 28, for example. So I think that uh, what we're contributing to is just being able to have a, a sense of uh, here is a piece of history that is important, and here is an object that relates to that history that you can actually see. This is the physical thing that's there. And I think Pele Barlow, who uh, did 
uh, Tate Britain's Quibbish Art Exhibition, I think in the sort of opening lines that it says, often our history is consigned to the bonfires, you know, it's it's lost. And being able to grab hold of this history and say, we've still, it still exists there. Uh, and here it is for you. But also it, uh, the contribution that we're doing is also making a call to arms and saying, if you've got queer history or if you've lived through these moments, you are queer history in many ways. So come and see us, have a chat with us. We've done oral history recordings. Or if you've got things that you think that should be in, in, collected by a, a place like us so that others can learn about the history and, it, and it's sometimes very personal history as well. Uh, come and see us and, and you know have a chat with the curators to see if that's the thing that we should get in because there are so many wonderful stories that need to be collected and preserved and that's very much the purpose of the museum is to be able to preserve that history and then open the doors and it's a free museum and it will always be a free museum so that you know the any young person who wants to come through that door can just go in and be able to instantly connect to all this wealth of history that we've got. On that topic, um, yeah, could you let us know some of your favourite pieces and what it is about them that you think is so informative and so worth preserving? Yeah, I, I've definitely got a few that I'd love to talk about. I wonder if I could just spin this very quickly and put it back on you. Because <laughs> you visited, you, 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 yeah, yeah. you've come around. What was your first sort of uh, moment when you got into the museum? What did you think? So, I mean, once we walked into the ex exhibition space, uh, the first thing I noticed was the big yellow door. Um, and I just knew immediately it was Oscar Wilde's uh, prison cell door um, just knew immediately without looking at it um, and that meant a lot to me um, reading his texts um, when I was studying English literature and also knew I was gay um, was really important um, I continue to reflect on them a lot um, in ways yeah, that I think of are really um, really deep and ingrained now um, and actually uh, it's inspired me to reread The Ballad of Reading Jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, I spotted it on my um, shelf back home in Edinburgh at Christmas and I thought I'm going to reread that and inspired completely by seeing The Yellow Door. Yeah. In, uh, in the museum. I did also absolutely love Divine Dress. <laughs> it's bright, it's orange, it's yeah. right at the back, but mm -hmm. it catches everybody's eye, doesn't it? Yeah, polar opposite pieces of queer history, but very Yeah, I think uh, there are certain things in the museum that people just want to touch. Yes. Divine Dress is definitely one where everyone's like, can I put that on? It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other one is Oscar Wilde's door. There's just a, there's a sort of a power that resonates from it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It was really uh, impactful to see it and also it made me realise just how tall he was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the door is actually quite small as well. Yeah, I know. But I, yeah. It just made me think. He, I knew um, that he was um, taller than me. I'm 6'2", and I looked at it and thought I would have to crouch yeah. every day to get yeah. through that. So that cannot have been a pleasant experience no. for him on many different levels. And uh, a quite broad shouldered as well. It's a very narrow door yeah. as well. So I, I, that's one way of actually orientating around the whole exhibition. When you do walk into that space, the clever thing that Dawn has done is to place the door there. And so you get this sense of this was actually uh, obviously that comes off the timeline. It comes off that 50 year timeline, but it really was a a, a legal point in time where it, it suddenly the law changed against us, didn't it? And this is the thing, you know, the law will change for and against us again and again. But that was a moment when everything changed. And Oscar Wilde, that's why he's kind of often held up as that, you know, that, that key court case as well. And so if you imagine that you're Oscar Wilde behind the door looking out, suddenly the whole of that 50 years of liberation suddenly comes into focus because on one side, on the right hand side, you've got how we found each other, uh, how we've been looking for each other and, and found each other. And then on the other side, you've got uh, how we fought for our rights and how protest has been a really important part of you know, bringing our community together. And on the far side where you've got the divine dress, that is all the creators who came after Oscar Wilde. So Oscar Wilde being, you know, great, for me, a great theatre maker, mm -hmm. uh, also a great author. And uh, I think you now have 
filmmakers and uh, designers, you know, a, a performance artist, you've got painters, drawers, you've got uh, more theatre makers, you know, all these creatives who have kind of picked up the narrative after Oscar Wilde, the, the story of our, us and our lives, you know, and, and picked it up and uh, and carried that through. So I think, you know, everybody looks back at Oscar Wilde, which is actually quite uh, a nice way of curating it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I love that piece. Yeah, I think for me, uh, one of the things is that that might not be the only way that you might orientate the collection. So one of my favourite objects is a, it's a rather smallish, I'm kind of just, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, holding up maybe three coffee mugs. Right? <laughs> I can uh, yeah, a little sculpture of uh, of Lady Phil, uh, who founded UK Black Pride. Uh, and so somebody who's incredibly important in my life uh, in terms of uh, help me understand you know, the the importance of being able to celebrate more than just being queer but also being a person of color in your life as well and uh, and how that can all come together and uh, so this little statue uh, it's in a cabinet that's part of the pride and protest section of things it's uh, in a little cabinet and uh, it's two statues actually there's uh, it's sort of a 3d scan so it's highly lifelike uh, and it's uh, the, when the print was made it actually prints out all the colors as well so it's you know Lady Phil she's got a hand on her hip she's looking very you know both powerful but also I think very uh, there's just a, a sort of a, a cheeky sauciness to her I think you know, this is just Lady Phil you know me almost describing Lady Phil right um, and uh, uh, and she stands next to Christine Burns who's obviously a trans activist and uh, Christine's holding the book uh, Trans Britain and so it's these two sculptures that were created to mark the fact that there aren't enough women sculptures out in the public realm and so these sculptures were made as part of a uh, a project called put her forward and so we were able to borrow the one of lady phil and put them in there and we borrowed the one of christine burns as well so they're together which is really lovely uh, but for me the reason why i say you can reorientate the whole museum around lady phil and she'd love that idea is that uh, uh, it's on loan from the Museum of London and they've got very strict condition for loans. So everything in terms of the lighting, the temperature and the way that uh, you can move around the space is actually orientated around Lady Phil and that loan. Uh, and I've, I've told Lady Phil and she does love the fact that, you know, she's the most precious thing in the museum. But it is the fact that it also connects up with so many other pieces in the collection and Lady Phil's, I suppose, uh, thinking around UK Black Pride is that idea that, you know, solidarity is incredibly important in our community, but also this idea, especially for people of colour, of political blackness as well. And it comes from this very 80s ideas that sort of connects up with a few artists on the on the far walls and opposite Lady Phil as well, where political blackness was about people of colour just getting together and saying, I understand your struggle. You can come to understand my struggle as well. Let's stand together and and as as a full group of people of color, let's not be broken up. Let's not let them divide and conquer us. And so I think that that's something that uh, Anja Morge, who's one of our trustees, you know, has really made sure that I understand as well. Uh, and Anja is part of Iman, and you know, diagonally opposite Lady Phil is the the rainbow hijab, for example. And so how political blackness follows through on a different level there in terms of faith and how, you know, we should celebrate people with multiple faces as well there, I think is, you know, that's how it can kind of make you think about uh, being able to look for others that will be able to stand with you, I think is, is a really important part of why that particular object for me is so special, you know, and I think this is the thing about the collection that's great. It's 
you've got the objects, you've got the history, but it's often what people will bring to it personally and you know they, they'll connect with personally so it's what you when you go to see the museum it's what you bring to the museum your own story your own life narrative that's really important because that it's the connection that you make to these objects that is the most valuable thing yeah great and uh, yeah could you let us know any of the other um, pieces that you particularly enjoy one of the things that I love uh, I told you before that I'm a teacher uh, my students are roughly 18 to 21 and uh, I've never felt older before in my life <laughs> because one of the things I love is a telephone. It's a rotary dial telephone. It's one of those that you kind of, you know, you, you spin around, mm. you, know, you put your finger in and the number, you spin it around. And, and what happens is if you pick up that phone and you dial a number on the other side, there'll be a person that will answer and it's a, a switchboard volunteer. So um, switchboard being that wonderful helpline that people call you know for it's a lifeline for so many people and has been for for decades uh, so you'll have the story of a volunteer who'll go oh i remember when somebody called and this is what happened if you dial number five you'll get lisa power who's a founder of switchboard and one of our trustees and she tells a hilarious story i won't tell you what it is you'll just have to come and listen to it but um when i go to the students you know just dial five and you'll get lisa you sort of see them struggling with it and they kind of go, what do I do? And they like start tapping it and doing all sorts of crazy things with it. Uh, and, but what I love is that, you know, it is the exact principle of what it felt like to uh, dial switchboard. You pick up the phone and suddenly your body just kind of goes, oh yeah, the phone goes into my shoulder. And then I lean into it and then there's this intimate connection. And then, you know, um, personally, my finger, my little pinky just like runs into the, the cord and it just like, you know, absentmindedly sort of just plays with the cord. And then this is the thing that when I go to the students, dial the number, they realise how now they realise when they see the number. It's a long number. It's like eight digits or something like that. There used to be a theme tune that uh, was written for it. Um, but you, you could have dialed the number, got to the seventh number, say if it was eight and actually just bailed out and just hung up like it was just it, it's trying to show them how how much energy somebody had to invest in actually picking up the phone and going I'm going to call switchboard this time and not getting to the end and kind of going no I can't do it you know and it, it just sort of gives you a sense of how much nervous energy that would have been on the other side of the of the line when somebody picked up the phone and you know and said I I want to talk to somebody so I used to be a volunteer in Melbourne on the other side and so the other thing is that's brilliant is we used to keep a log of each of the calls and just helped us with our own training because your supervisor could come in and go, all right, so you're getting a lot of calls about this. We'll give you some more training around that. We've got one of the original logbooks uh, from the London service in the museum as well. And so it's just brilliant to sort of see all the different handwriting of the volunteers. Often, I think the uh, the volunteers who made those recordings, they would have flicked through the book and gone, oh, that's me. Oh, I remember that call. So there's just something incredibly tactile about that, you know, sense that you get the sense that somebody made that call and somebody wrote it down. And then a lot of those messages that you hear is about somebody remembering a connection that they made with somebody else. And if you think about that multiplied out tens of thousands of times, possibly millions of times, all the calls that were made, that's that rich sense of queer history that is just, it just sort of, I, it's that's why for me queer history is sort of intangible history at risk if you don't write it down it there's a there's a chance we can lose it all because each and every one of those connections is so beautiful and valuable yeah i agree completely and um yeah what was your final um your final piece okay my final piece is uh 
uh, a letter. And so my final piece is a letter that came into the museum. Uh, we were asking for people to write open letters. And Asifa Lahore, who is a drag performer, wrote us a letter. And I think it was the most beautiful contribution. Uh, and it's something that I actually have grabbed a copy of and I've, I've pinned it to the wall. Uh, so every time I think about the museum, uh, this is what I think of. And it's also what I try to instill in all the volunteers and you know the staff that come in as well. And uh, Asifa wrote this sort of six page letter sort of saying, this is what it's like for me right now to be queer in this world. And Asifa ended the letter with this particular note. And it was, I will end this by saying that I'm British, Pakistani, South Asian, Muslim, transgender, queer, and disabled. I want to live in a world where these labels mean nothing and everything in solidarity, Asifa Lahore, and then a big love heart. And I think for me, that's that's kind of what Lady Phil was talking about, you know, the way that we can uh, we can look at all the things that we can celebrate about ourselves, the, bring, the things that bring us together, and you know, being able to look at the things that are also different about us, but we can celebrate as well. So it's really a beautiful note that looks to kind of look for those things that kind of give us unity as well, but also just reminds us that we are such beautifully faceted diamonds as well. You can't just describe a person in just a few words, you know, we are so much more. And the goal for Queer Britain is being able to try to capture that, not just for our community, but also, and our multiple communities that come together, but also for each of us as well. I think that is an excellent place to wrap up. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, just to let you know, we have some other events for LGBT History Month, including another podcast with volunteers from Just Like Us, where Daniel Gehring is Chair of Trustees, as well as a panel discussion on the 14th of February in the auditorium. Also, I want to remind people that the firm has its own LGBT plus network, which is open to everyone, regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity please do sign up and get involved with the group's work. On that note, we'll end there. Thank you very much, Dan, for taking part, and I hope you all enjoyed listening.